Welcome to All Together Now. This is Eleanor Lacane. One of the great challenges of our time is wealth inequality. The top 1% owns more wealth than 90% of the rest of us combined, and their wealth is growing rapidly. It may seem inevitable that the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, but the reality is the rules are stacked in favor of the wealthy. Please understand, I want you and other people to be prosperous. I would actually be delighted if everyone were a millionaire. But the rules are stacked against regular people, making it harder for us to get ahead financially and stacked in favor of the ultra wealthy who need it least. So what can we do to bring about a more widespread prosperity? Our guest today knows exactly what we can do to ensure my more widely shared prosperity. Morris Pearl was a highly successful Wall Street executive for many years, including as managing director of BlackRock, the world's largest asset management company. He left Wall Street and became the chair of the Patriotic Millionaires, a group of hundreds of high net worth Americans committed to making all Americans better off by building a more prosperous, stable, and inclusive nation, and ensuring that millionaires, billionaires, and corporations pay their fair share of taxes. Mr. Pearl recently co-authored a new book called Tax the Rich, How Lies, Loopholes, and Lobbyists Make the Rich Even Richer where he gives a rare insider's view of how the system is rigged and offers us a blueprint on how to fix it. He's here with us today to give us that insider's view on what's wrong and a blueprint on what we can do about it. Morris Pearl, welcome to All Together Now. Eleanor, great to be on your show. I'm so excited you're here. I don't think I've ever talked to anyone who worked for a company that managed $9 trillion in assets. <laughs> and now you're coming out saying, hey, we need to do this in a more fair way. So I'm really impressed with what you've done and eager to share your story and your message with our listeners. So let's start off with your story. You were making a lot of money on Wall Street, including as an executive at BlackRock. Tell us the story of your experience that led you to lead, leave Wall Street and work for fair taxes. Well, I always believed in progressive policies. I've always been on the progressive side of the political spectrum. And fortunately, I've had the good fortune to be in a position where I don't need to work anymore to earn a living. I remember um, one day I was work at a meeting um, doing due diligence for a bank in Athens, Greece. And I, um, I walked over to the window during the lunch break so people wouldn't see I'd taken two chocolate puddings from the buffet. And I thought I was seeing a parade for a moment and I realized it was actually more like a riot moving down the street towards the Greek parliament. And I kind of looked back at all these bankers and I kind of thought to myself, was I really doing any good for the rest of the people of Greece besides a few dozen bankers whose jobs we are hopefully saving by getting a bailout for their bank? And, you know, a few months later, I decided I've done as much as I could for the shareholders of BlackRock. And fortunately, I was in a financial position that I didn't really need to earn money anymore from working. And I've been doing this work, policy and politics, full time since... Uh, early 2014. And I'm so glad you're doing it. And, uh, you know, it's so rare that we have someone like you who was highly successful on Wall Street coming out and saying, really, the system is rigged and we're benefiting uh, from this. And I know sometimes that uh, people outside that can be seen as anti-success or anti-wealthy people. And really, that's not at all how I feel or how many people I really I love people to be successful. I love people to be wealthy and not have to worry about their finances. I think there's way too much stress by way too many people because they're struggling financially. 
But part of it is it's almost like we've got this system designed like it's a vacuum cleaner sucking the resources up to the very top. And we're talking like the top 1% out of our people. Talk a little bit about how concentrated is the wealth in the United States right now? Look, I run a group called the Patriotic Millionaires. I'm the chairman of the board. We are in favor of being millionaires. We think it's great. <laughs> we think everyone should do it. I have nothing against millionaires, believe me. Um, so starting there, and yeah, it's true. You know, they used to talk about this trickle-down economics theory. It's not true. Money actually trickles up, mm -hmm. as I've said many times. Um, you know, we, we investors are doing well and getting rich because we own stock in companies like Amazon.com and Google and Verizon and all the other companies that are making the modern internet economy work. And all that works, not because of a few people like me doing anything. <clears throat> all of that works because millions and millions of people buying apps and paying their iPhone bill every month and paying their mortgage payment and their car payment and their rent every single month. That's the backbone of our economy. That's what makes investors do well, is collecting all of this money that people are paying every single month. You know, look at wealthy people in America. And they're the people that own stock in companies that make money little tiny bits at a time. All those 99 cent apps that you buy, they add up to billions and billions of dollars and make a few people extraordinarily wealthy. You know, all those mortgage payments, they add up and they make real estate investors extraordinarily wealthy. So it's money is trickling up from all the people who are working for a living to the investors. Yo, why well, might change the metaphor slightly instead of trickling down? It's like being vacuumed up. <laughs> if you look yeah. at that, it's like, whoa, uh, really getting, uh, you know, intensifying the wealth of those who are already at the very tippity top. The what, the fact that got me on this issue of concentration wealth was when I learned that the top 1% owns more than the bottom 90% of people combined. I mean, that is just staggering. And we have more wealth stratification now than England. And we fought a war for independence from England in part because we wanted a more democratic society, chance for everyone to make it, chance for everyone to have to say and how our governing happened. And now we're more stratified than than England is. So um, yeah. it's, it's put our very uh, democracy in jeopardy, which you talk about eloquently in your book. Uh, and I was very moved when you wrote in your book that as an extremely wealthy man yourself, you favor higher taxes on wealth. And you say it is in my self-interest that the rich pay higher taxes. How do you explain that? Like most people think, oh, your self-interest always is pay less in taxes. But you say no. Why? Well, I think that those people who don't want to pay any taxes are really killing the goose that lays the golden eggs. I'm here in New York City. I'm 100 yards from the Flatiron Building over there as I'm speaking to you. People are moving into New York City from all over the world because this is the kind of place where you can build businesses and invest money and build things and do things and make them work. And part of that is because here in New York, and like other places too, like San Francisco and other parts of the country, we have the resources to do things, to make the government work for people, to make this a great place to live. We have hospitals and universities and internet and public transportation and all these things that make people from all over the world want to move to these places. That's why we have big, huge cities with millions of people living in them. And the parts in the middle of the country have big, wide plains with few people living in them. 
because people don't want to live there. And paying taxes is a good thing. That's what makes New York, New York. That's what makes our nation successful is all the things that we do. And doing all those things requires money. The people that created this country, when they moved from England and Europe, they knew that. They created things called commonwealths, like the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, because they knew we needed common wealth. That's how you make a society successful, is you have common wealth to do things together. You know, we, so we went on the wrong course when I was in college. And, mm-hmm. you know, a actor who became the governor of California rode a horse around and said, oh, everyone should do things by themselves. People, it's good to be greedy. Michael Douglas, who had stripes running the wrong way in his shirt, said that. And they kind of told America, no, you're not supposed to do things together. You're supposed to each do things independently. And those few of us whose God's countenance shined upon are supposed to be extraordinarily wealthy. And the rest of you, well, that's how God intended you to be, poor. And that's not true. Exactly right. And it's so interesting. We often have you touched on this metaphor within the American myth about the Lone Ranger, but it's kind of missing that whole other side that there couldn't have been a Lone Ranger without the people who did, you know, the barn raising where the whole community came together to help someone make build their barn and um, that throughout our history has been cooperative community for the benefit of all. And uh, I th- I love Elizabeth Warren, by the way, and I don't know whether you picked up on my accent or just happened to say Commonwealth because it isn't, but I'm from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and I worked on Elizabeth Warren's campaign in 2012 to get her elected to the Senate. I thought she had the most brilliant, clear description that yes, we want you to be a successful business person. Yes, we want you to have a company that makes a lot of money, but realize that the reason you can do that is that we as a commonwealth have paid for the education of your workers through the public schools. We as a commonwealth have paid for the roads that allow for your goods to make it to market. We as a commonwealth have built the communication systems that allow for you to advertise and sell your product and on and on. And that you, we need to be reinvesting back into the Commonwealth. So the next generation can also, uh, you know, have their shot at the, at the American dream. So tell us about the patriotic millionaire. So you're not the only millionaire who understands we need more taxes to have a more uh, robust and fair economy to give everyone a shot at the American dream. Who are these patriotic millionaires and what do you do? Well, we have a few hundred people from all over the country, a lot in the East and the West. There are some in the middle too. We have a few hundred members from all over the country and we have a staff of around 24 people or so. They occasionally come and go and what we do is we have our staff helps our members speak up because really we are the majority. Most people are on our side. Most people realize that they don't want to live in a country with a few rich people and lots of poor people. That doesn't work. You know, they tried that in South Africa when I was a teenager. It did not end well for the rich people. So, and most American business people understand that. And what we're trying to do is help them speak out, whether it's writing an op-ed or speaking at a rally or going on the radio with you or talking to a reporter or, you know, doing anything like that that we can do. We are trying to explain to our Congress people and our fellow Americans that no, this is not some kind of a, you know, rich against everyone else kind of a war. It's really we're all on the same side. And there's this tiny minority, a tiny minority of people who, for whatever reason, don't care about everyone else. Most of them have businesses that extract minerals from the earth and sell them. And that tiny minority has somehow convinced a lot of the American people and about half of our American Congress that no, 
taxing people's just a bad idea altogether and we shouldn't do it at all. And somehow that's bad. Even this month, you know, our Democratic our members of Congress are saying, oh, well, this is a tough vote to raise taxes. You know, right now, Republicans and a few people are running ads against our members. Oh, he wants to raise taxes as if he wants to, they want to raise taxes on everyone when we say tax the rich. Those few among us, investors like me, pay a fraction of the tax rate that any of you who work for a living pay. And there's no reason why I should pay lower tax rates than the rest of you guys do. No reason at all. But that's how our tax rules are written, because somehow the few people who are greedy, short-term greedy, not long-term greedy, but short-term greedy for having more money, have had so much influence over our government that that's how it turned out. Exactly right. And I think you've described in your um, explanation there kind of the two major dynamics that have led to the current predicament. One is that there's been a war of ideas and this idea that taxes are bad and no new taxes is good is has really been pumped into academia, into the whole gestalt of how Americans think. I remember I was renting a car in Los Angeles, talking to a guy at the enterprise company. He's, you know, a lineman and the working there, probably making minimum wage or maybe a little above. And I got into a discussion with him about progressive tax. He was against progressive taxes. He thought, I, sh you know, I expect to be rich someday and I don't want you know, you're ta you're taxing success. You're punishing success. I'm going to be a rich person someday, and I don't want you taking my money. And I thought, wow, this idea is really filtered down that working people who will probably never be a millionaire in their whole lives are getting screwed by a tax system that's favoring the very top, and they can't even see that but talk a little bit about what you say to people who believe that well or they see it but somehow they think that's a good thing i think the american people see what's going on but somehow they've been convinced that that's how god or someone meant it mm -hmm. to be you know and we the people through their elected representatives can change things and right now we may be on the verge of seeing a change. You know, we may be on the verge of seeing our tax system actually change the opposite of what happened at the end of 2017 in a way that makes it at least a little bit more progressive. So I'm actually feeling a little bit more encouraged. I'm actually feeling a little bit better that seeing some signs of things moving in the right direction, although... I haven't seen that yet. But yeah, I think it's a matter of just the American people have been convinced that that it's like it's like right for for the rich to get richer. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's been that way through most of history. Um and I think our mission is to explain to people that that it's not it doesn't have to be that way. Society can be organized in a way that I believe will turn out to be better for everyone. Exactly right. And, you know, that's the, the two ways I think that this uh, mindset has come out. One is we were discussing the way people think, how messages that are being promoted to say, uh, you know, greed is good and the rich get richer. That's just how it should be. And it's unfair to tax them. Um, and we're not, by the way, talking about taxing them more. We're talking about taxing them fairly. Um, well, talking about the, taxing them more than they're currently being taxed. More than that. Yes, uh, exactly. Well, it's like Willie, was it Willie Sutton? They said, why do you rob banks? Is it because that's where the money is. And if you want to pay for the budget, you need to go where the money is. So 
I think that's a good idea. But the second thing that's happened is the wealth, people with wealth using the wealth to get more power, influencing their elected representatives in Congress and everybody else in Congress, using the money to get more power to change the rules in their favor. And then they get more money from the change rules, and that allows them to give more money out and get more power. So we're in a very uh, kind of a downward spiral there. But you're right. We have a hero, I think, in Joe Biden with this budget that he's presented, which is we need major work in the country. We have to fix roads or bridges. We need renewable energy to deal with the climate crisis. We need child care so women can get to work. The kids can be taken care of and we can pay for all of it by uh, putting taxes on the most wealthy who can most afford it. So um, but he's this is the battle is now engaged. And as we're talking, these discussions and battles are raging here in Washington, D.C., on Capitol Hill, trying to get that bill passed. So. You've been at this now for a while. What do you see as the prospects for Biden's budget getting through? Like, what is stopping it and what do we need to do to push this through? Well, it looks to me like it's currently down to two people. You know, um, Joe Manchin from West Virginia and Kristen, Kristen Cinema from Arizona. They've been in and out of the White House all day. Um. The president is talking to them, trying to figure out what can what they want or will agree to. The impression is that that it's one of those things where like egos are getting in the way of policy, and that sometimes it's not even a policy thing that somebody's working on, but more of a personal thing. Um, so I think that it's up to the president to figure out how to how to get these people to agree to the right policies in a way they won't like lose face or something. Um, so I think that's where they are on the House side. There have been, you know, nine somewhat recalcitrant ones, a few have written letters back and forth. But I believe that the uh, leadership will have the votes to pass a bill. If they can get an indication, there's 50 senators who agree on something. Um, I think that's where we are. I think they have to, they're trying to do both at once, sort of this, the part the bipartisan agreement is on and the reconciliation part, um, because the feeling is that the, the more concern, more, I don't know what to call them, more, the ones who are less in favor of taxing the rich, mm -hmm. whoever they are that that you, that you know you want to have the progressive side wants to have some leverage so wants to say we're not going to vote for anything until we get everyone to agree on the whole package um you know you don't want to pass one part first and then the people who like that part will just go home and won't care about the other part um so i think that's where the progressives are mm -hmm. um insisting on we do you know both whatever the two things are, do them simultaneously. Um, but I think that the, uh, the, I think the speaker will have the votes in the house whenever she gets an indication that there's 50 senators who agree on something. Right. <clears throat> and it is interesting. You read it's those two senators, one from West Virginia mansion and uh, uh, the other from the West Kristen cinema are really like holding up the whole works. And I wish you could talk to them, Morris. I mean, I think if you could sit down and talk to those two senators, you could say, look, and because one of the factors I found very compelling in your book was to say, uh, part of it is the current tax structure and how unfair it is and how it favors the very wealthy. But part of it also is, the tax collection is unfair that right now the IRS has been underfunded for many years deliberately 
to make it harder to enforce the taxes on the wealthy. So people who earn a wage are easier to go after because you've got the monthly record. Here's what you've earned and here's what you should be paying in for taxes. Whereas the very wealthy have many ways of earning the wealth and hiding the wealth, investing the wealth, and that the IRS just is incapable of really auditing the higher end people. So they tend to audit the earned income tax credit people who are barely yeah. getting by as much as they do the very wealthies. And that if you actually enforce the current laws that we could earn 75% of the current deficit uh, would be paid. I think, I mean, I think what you're saying makes sense. I do want to distinguish between the things that are legal and things that are illegal. Mm-hmm. You know, you read the uh, ProPublica piece about how all these billionaires pay almost no taxes. Those people are doing things that are perfectly legal. The thing is, we pay income taxes on income. Income, well, if you're a billionaire and you're already rich, you don't need any income. So that's why billionaires don't have to have any income and don't have to pay any taxes. I I didn't even re- understand why that was interesting news. I always knew that investors don't pay taxes because we don't earn any money. I'm, you know, if you're already rich, you don't need to earn any money. So it took me a while to even figure out what the surprise was in that story or what wasn't already known by everybody. Um, but I've since figured that out. So I think, you know, mostly I say we investors, people like me, should be paying the same tax rates as people who get a paycheck every week because they're working for a living and have money deducted from their paycheck every week. And that's what the patriotic millionaire's basic message is about. Now, I don't think that we, that our members and myself will pay any more taxes if we have more auditing because what we're doing to pay less taxes is perfectly legal. Mm-hmm. Now, yes, I do know there are a bunch of criminals running around. And yes, we can collect a lot more taxes from those people who are criminals and doing illegal things and breaking the law and not paying the taxes they're legally required to pay, which is a crime here in the United States. Um, but I just don't want to separate those two. Mostly what we're talking about in our book is changing the laws so that rich people should pay more taxes than people who work for a living. Um, and yes, it's another question of, I mean, I think, and everyone agrees, I think, that we should enforce the existing laws, although maybe some Republicans don't think so. Right, exactly. Well, uh, I was thinking of one of your members of the Patriarch Millionaires, Chuck Collins was a guest on this show, and he wrote a book about the wealth hoarders and, and the army of lawyers and accountants that wealthy people employ to figure out ways so that they can keep as much of their wealth as possible out of the reach of taxes legally. Yes, uh, legally. Now, so, and now, if you're doing something legal, you know, enforcing the laws won't make any difference to you if, you're, if what you're doing is already legal anyway. But yes, I think there's a lot of things we should change in the laws so that some of these crazy things that are now legal and end up resulting in people not paying taxes become illegal and law-abiding citizens will stop doing them. We'll talk a little bit about that. Like you're on the inside there. You're you now see how the whole game is played. What are some of the changes that we need to make that would make the system more fair for the average person? Well, one of the things we've talked about is taxing wealth. Now, if you live in a house somewhere that you own, and maybe you have a mortgage and maybe you don't, but if you live in a house somewhere that you own, chances are very high that you pay a real estate tax. And for most Americans, the house they live in is the major thing that they own. That's what Mm -hmm. most of their wealth is, is that home. Um, And they pay a real estate tax, which is a percentage of the value of that home. And that's how our American system has worked since the very beginning of our country. 
real estate tax has been a pretty major part of most people's budget since not time immemorial, but for several centuries, mm-hmm. except, except for people like me who are more wealthy. I mean, yes, I do live somewhere and in a very nice apartment uptown, but most of my wealth is in my stock portfolio. I do not pay any tax on that. I only pay real estate tax on the value of the home that I live in, which is a, in my case, a very small portion of the wealth that I have. So we believe that the rich people should pay a wealth tax the same way all of you who whose wealth is in your homes have been for your whole lives. Yeah. Now explain this to me because I don't understand that you're saying you make money through stocks, but you don't have to pay taxes on that. I thought you had to pay capital gains tax when you make money on stocks. Not when you make money on stocks, you have to pay capital gains tax when you sell the stocks. Uh. So you just don't sell your stocks? How, what do you yeah, live so on? I've invested money in, say, Amazon and Apple years and years ago. I've made millions of dollars as the value of that stock has gone up and up and up. I can spend some of that money. I can just tell my stockbroker to please send me some cash and I can spend it without ever selling any stock. And yes, I'll be charged interest on that. But that'll be something for my kids to worry about, you know, after I've, my days on this earth have been finished. And, um, and yes, and then they won't have to pay any capital gains tax either, because the way the rules work, if you inherit stock, you only pay capital gains tax on the amount it went up in value after you inherited it. So the millions of dollars that I've made watching the stock price go up and up and up over all these years will never be taxed and no one will ever pay any tax on this, assuming that my kids inherit the stock, you know, after my demise. Hmm. And that's a law that we think should be changed. Yeah. So I still don't get it. And the reason is I just this week, as a matter of fact, sold some stock because I had to pay for some home renovation issues. And when I sold the stock, I had to pay the capital gains on it. How do you how do you get the cash without selling the stock? You you borrow you, you withdraw money from a margin account. You could have told your broker to put the stock in a margin account and to please send you in cash half the value of the stock or up to half the value. And if you're wealthy enough, half is enough to live on for a long time if you have a lot of stock. Okay, so I got to tell my stockbroker, put the stock in a margin account. Yeah. And then draw it from there. Yeah. And as long as the, 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 you know, the amount that you've withdrawn plus interest is less than half the value of your stock, which is easy if you have a few billion dollars worth of stock, then you'll never pay any taxes. Paul Morris, I wish I had talked to you last week. <laughs> hey, I'm here every week. I'll, I'll keep your advice in mind for the future. <laughs> yeah. Of course, you have to have more than twice as much stock as you need to pay for your home or whatever it is you're buying. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, that's cool. Um, so if you're, if you're a billionaire and you have billions of dollars worth of stock and you live on a small fraction of that, most people can live on you know, a million dollars a month pretty easily, then you never have to pay taxes. It's kind of a, taxes are kind of a voluntary thing. Do whenever you do it, if you feel like it kind of a thing for the wealthy investor class. So you think then that strengthening the IRS and funding them more isn't going to matter unless we change the tax code. Is that right? Well, I mean, it will matter to tracking down some criminals there. I mean, okay. True. There are some criminals out there, but that's nothing to do with what I've just been talking about. Yeah. No amount of funding the IRS. If you don't change the tax laws, giving the IRS any amount of money will not change what I've just been telling you because Mm -hmm. there's nothing illegal about what I've been doing. I'm fairly sure. Right. Good. Well, uh, 
So let's talk about some of those changes in the tax code. And I know for a lot of people, this is like puts them to sleep. And uh, I'm writing a book right now about what we can do in the United States to address our major challenges. There's a whole chapter on how to increase shared prosperity so more people are are uh, stronger financially. Um, and I say the, the number one thing we need to do is change the taxes. Don't fall asleep on me here. People right. are counting on you to be bored and confused. And they talk about it in ways that make it boring and confusing. But this is the single most important thing we need to do for having wider prosperity in the country is a more fair tax code. So you talk about um, taxing the wealth. Talk about some of the specific ways. Like, do you support Senator Warren's wealth tax? Yeah. Yes, I think that'd be a definite improvement and a good thing. We all support Senator Wyden's bill, which is talks about taxing capital gains, whether or not somebody sells their assets, essentially. Um, you know, every year, if you make money from your salary, you pay tax every year. If I make money from my stock going up, I only pay tax if I should happen to sell the stock someday. <clears throat> so Senator Wyden, the chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, has a proposal to tax people in unrealized capital gains too, um, which you know works out to be similar, but not exactly the same. Um, so we're supporting these proposals to essentially tax money from wealth the same way we already tax money from wages. That's the basic principle that we're supporting and Senator Wyden and Senator Warren are supporting is having the wealthy pay taxes the same way that everyone who earns money to live on every, and has money deducted from their wages every single week already pays taxes. Right. And then you mentioned in passing a very critical piece here also is the estate tax, which has been changed in that horrendous tax bonanza for the wealthy in 2017 that Trump and the Republicans push through, as you say, their one and only big package that they did when Trump first came in uh, was this tax bonanza for the wealthy. And part of that was increasing the amount of money uh, that you could pass from one generation to the next without any taxation on it. Talk a little bit about the estate tax. Yeah. I mean, we believe that if you get money from working, if you get money from earning income on your wealth, or if you get money from inheriting it, you should pay taxes the same way. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I don't think there's any good reason why people who inherit vast amounts of wealth, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't think there's any good reason why people who inherit vast amounts of wealth should get that tax free, while people who get money from working have to pay taxes every week. So we support Taxing, I mean, over some reasonable amount, millions of dollars, mm -hmm. we, su we support people who get millions and millions of dollars from their, you know, parents' estates should pay taxes on that, like any other kind of income. So that's what we're suggesting. Yeah, and it's free money for the people inheriting it, so they should be happy to pay some amount of tax on it to get the rest of it, right? I, I mean, whether they're happy or not, I mean... It's not a matter of happiness. I mean, I'm not happy about paying taxes. You know, I prefer not to pay any taxes. I'd also prefer to have a free apartment to live in. And I'd also prefer not to pay for my lunch at the Thai restaurant down the street, too. But, you know, the apartment needs to be paid for in order to pay the electricity and pay the doorman. And I need to pay for my lunch because the people who cook the lunch need to be paid. And... I need to pay taxes because we need money to run the country. So I'm not happy to pay for anything, but I pay for all those things because that's part of what living in a society means is paying for stuff. Right, exactly. So you mentioned that the majority of people agree with you, which is true. Poll after poll is showing support 
for more taxes, fair taxes for the rich by big margins, including above 70 percent, above 70 percent poll after poll, including oh. a lot of Republicans, by the way. Yeah. Go to Donald Trump's own precinct. He didn't get 70 percent of the votes, you know, in in the precinct where he actually lived when he ran for president. Yet taxing the rich gets 74 percent. Right. So we've had big support for increasing taxing uh, the, the rich for a long time. And yet we still go in the opposite direction. Um Well, I should say up until now with President Biden in this bill where he's really making a heroic effort to turn the tide there. But why is this such a hard thing to get through Congress and even state legislatures when there's such very strong voter support for fair taxes for their wealthy? Well, we're here talking, you know, on your radio show. And other people are talking about these things. But but the few rich people who are greedy and don't want to pay more taxes, they're throwing a huge party to loud the few Congress people as American heroes who stand up to the voters and take the tough vote to do the right thing, which is refusing to tax the rich. And that gets people excited. You know, you go to a big party and. You have a fancy band and balloons and people cheering and yelling and talking about how great you are as the American hero, you know, who, you know, has the braveness, bravery to stand up to these silly voters who don't know what they're doing. And, you know, a few people fall for it. Right. And also, as you point out, the amount of money that's given in contributions to campaigns that comes from wealthy people. And I was shocked in 2017 in the discussion around the tax bonanza for the rich bill that the Republicans were flat out saying, I need to vote for this bill to reduce taxes on the very wealthy individuals and the corporations, because my donors are saying, if I don't pass this, they're going to cut off my funding and they're going to stop contributing to my campaign. It was just blatant that the donors to the Republicans in particular are very much uh, telling the elected representatives, don't tax the rich or you lose money for your campaign. Uh, sadly, true. I mean, one of the things I've learned in my years in politics is a few tens of thousands of dollars can make you anybody's best friend. You know, in the 2004 campaign, my wife and I were supporting Howard Dean. I remember Howard Dean was a doctor from Vermont who was running for president. And he didn't win, as you may recall. Right. And my wife wanted to go to the convention. I said, well, you know, the Kerry people won the primaries, so they're going to go to the convention and we'll stay home and watch on TV. But she didn't like that explanation. So we made a few calls to people in the Democratic National Conven- National Committee. And shortly thereafter, we were ensconced at the Four Seasons Hotel in Boston, playing pool with Ben Affleck, sitting in some skybox seats, watching the um, skinny guy from Chicago give his Purple State speech. And it's a whole different world. Mm. And yeah, there are people who, you know, stand in line to get a tour of the Capitol building. And there are people who are escorted inside to meet with their Congress people. And, you know, the Congress people, even the best intended of them, end up spending huge amounts of time with these donors because they're constantly doing these donor events and fundraisers and stuff like that, because they think they need millions of dollars to run their campaign. And so they end up actually understanding very well whatever it is these donors talk about all the time. And they don't really hear that much about what everyone else talks about. So if I'm frustrated about something, you can be assured that plenty of Congress people know exactly what I'm frustrated about and why. And that maybe if it's not something I have strong feelings about, when it comes up, they go, oh, yeah, 
that's a ridiculous thing. We should change that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's just a matter of sort of hearing it often enough. They kind of think everyone, that's what everyone says. Even if it's only one guy who says it a lot, it looks like it's everyone saying it. And that's part of the problem is our campaign finance system requires that. And so it's just something that, you know, they can't, it, you know, it's hard to deal with. And we have to um, change that. We also have to change our campaign finance system to, um, mm-hmm. to lessen the needs of that. Here in New York City, we've reformed our campaign finance system so that people raise money from small dollar donations and they get matching funds on small dollar donations from, um, from the campaign finance board. And that HR1 and S1 are, have you know, a similar system for federal elections and that's something that we should uh, we should be doing. Right. And I think also getting the message out that we have had higher taxes on the wealthy before, actually, for a lot of the 20th century. Uh, and if you look at the the top rates on the marginal tax rate, there's 70 percent even higher for decades and it was actually among the most prosperous time in American history. Yeah. You know, it, it wasn't that the economy collapsed. On the contrary, we had a very healthy economy and a strong middle class. Even Ken Langone, the guy who started Home Depot or helped start Home Depot, who has his name on the hospital on the east side over there, he made all that money when ta- his tax rate was 70%. And, you know, he lived here in Manhattan. He could have moved someplace with lower taxes, but he didn't because this is where he wanted to live and Mm -hmm. where he still wants to live. Um, People were paying much higher tax rates than they are now and doing just fine. Right. And you talk from, you know, with an insight of a high level investor and a management of investment funds. And you say, look, Go ahead and charge the 70% for that top rate. Again, we're not talking about 100%. All the money that you've made doesn't get taxed at 70% just when you get into the higher echelons of, of yeah, money making. Like your 11th and subsequent billions, millions. The idea is that you can right. pay 70% of your 11th million. Exactly. Anything you make above $11 million could be taxed at 70%. And you say... Yes, people will still invest even at the 70% mark. Why? Because it's either invest and make the money you can make from it or keep the money sitting there and not make money. And that's that gets you zero. So no investor going to want that. So when you put it that way, it's like, oh, it's just common sense. It's not going to stop people from investing. They'll invest and just pay what they need to pay to make their money. Yeah, there's this sort of fiction that, oh, the investors will go on strike, you know, or something. Right. And it is just fiction. You know, I have money in the stock market. I guess I could withdraw it all in cash and put the cash in a vault someplace and make zero profits and have zero tax bills. But I'd rather make some income on that money make some return on my investment and pay tax on it rather than make zero. It makes so much sense when you say it. And it just blows that whole argument out of the water that, oh, we can't raise taxes. The economy will crash because no one will invest. So not true. And it has not been true historically. And you explain why it wouldn't be true even if we did it today. The the implication is there's this alternative thing that investors could do that doesn't have taxes. But if you charge the same tax on all kinds of investment income, then people will invest in whatever they think is the best thing to invest in and Mm -hmm. pay the taxes, and that's how it'll work. Makes perfect sense. Morris, are you going to run for office? We need to get you in there. Well, here in New York, (laughs) I I live in New York City. We have plenty of people, you know. um, Yeah. You have good people. Yeah, I was I was talking to um, one of our New York Congress people, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the other day. I gave her a copy of my Tax the Rich book. And she said to me, you know, Morris, you do know you're talking to the choir now, don't you? 
I said, well, yes, but I still thought you'd might like a book. Absolutely. And you've got a lot of rich content in there. Um, and what if you were talking to President Biden on this? He's obviously got the right instincts. He wants to help strengthen the middle class. His bill has been awesome on what we need in America and where the money will come from to pay for all of it. Uh, what would you say to President Biden if you had to sit down with him in the White House tomorrow? I would say hold the line, get these last few Democrats on board and just insist that they follow the lead of their Democratic Party that mm -hmm. you are the leader of. And, um, you know, he has to be, you know, a little, you know, more like uh, Lyndon Johnson, maybe. Right. Let's make a deal. Yeah. And you you talk about some of the both the content of the what needs to be done and some about messaging and communications and your, I would say, brilliant at communications, the way you can communicate effectively and make it sound very simple and very fair and very common sensible. What advice would you have to people who are trying to work to get these bills passed, to work for fair taxes, about both their strategy and their communications? Well, some of the credit, a lot of the credit, well, actually all of the credit should go to my co-author, Erica Payne, <laughs> and our team at the Patriotic Millionaires. We are basically a communications group. <laughs> We're running essentially a press and public relations communications firm but instead of running as a for-profit firm, we're running it as a co-op for the benefit of our hundreds of Patriotic Millionaire members. And we're helping all of our members speak out and give the message that yes, these progressive policies are good for rich people too. That's our basic message. And I, th I think the basic message is that no, these things are not going to destroy the economy or destroy jobs or whatnot. That's the thing. It's not that, oh, you know, poor people, we should be sad because the poor people don't have enough money. Um, that's been true for forever. Mm -hmm. uh, it's that we want the same economic growth that the Republicans are talking about, but we understand that getting economic growth depends on millions and millions of people who have enough money to pay for things. The same people I was talking about the earlier in the uh, show. It does not depend on a few rich people with lots of money. Because me having more money, yes, I could be richer. I could be a little more rich, a little less rich. It's not actually going to make any difference in my life, for better or worse. <clears throat> so I'll do about the same thing either way. But if the people who are living paycheck to paycheck get more money, they will spend that money. Mm -hmm. And that's what will help our economy grow is all of them spending more money. That's what helps businesses make money is customers who spend money. Um, that's what businesses really depend on. If you ask, you know, any business owner what they're concerned about, it's more customers who are spending money in their businesses. It's not how much taxes they pay in the, on the profits. Those profits are only calculated you know, after they make money, after they pay all their expenses and their employees and whatnot. Then what's left is what the owner gets, and he pays part of that in taxes. That's true. But making more money in the top line, that's far more important than what percentage of taxes he pays on his bottom line income. So that's the message that we try to give is that more progressive policies are good for business people, good for investors, good for economic growth. Right. And I loved your example. And it's so dramatic when you say it. It's like you're an investor in Apple. But it isn't because you have put your money into Apple that Apple is making money. It's because people like me and millions of people like me are uh are buying our iPhones and that customer demand is what's giving Apple the the profits that it's making. Yeah, I have thousands of shares of Apple stock in my portfolio, but that did not do the company any good at all. 
I bought them from people who were selling them on whatever day it was I decided to buy them, I don't know, eight or 10 years ago. What makes money for Apple is all those people who are waiting in line around the block to buy a new iPhone the day the new iPhone comes out. Those people are helping Apple make money and helping me get rich. Yeah, it's like the modern version of Henry Ford who paid his workers $5 a day so they'd have enough money to buy the cars that they were producing. You know, you you need those customers. So we need a strong middle class that can be create the consumer demand to make the companies profitable and and getting richer. And that's why I love, you know, we had Occupy Wall Street was just 10 years ago. And it was, you know, we are the 99%. But I I felt there was something missing from both the strategy and the communications messaging on that, which is really, we are the 100%. We are in this all together. We are all Americans. And that, as you say, even the top 1% will do better with more fair taxes because a stronger middle class and more money circulating means there's more customers and more demand for the products that the companies are selling. And they're going to be more profitable when we have more widely shared prosperity. Yes. Yes. If we have more widely shared prosperity, we will all do better. And yes, I'm not quite sure what the Occupy Wall Street movement was trying to accomplish. Um, And exactly what the goals are. And I've been to Zuccotti Park. Um, You know, I've even spoken there, although not at that exact time. So, yeah, I'm going to, um, you know, we are at the Patriarch Millionaires. We are giving our book to people who will read it. We're trying to get more people to read it. Um, We'll send you more copies if you want. And that's what we are trying to do is get the word out that these policies are good for all of us, including the investors and business people. Fantastic. And I know we have actually some of our listeners are in the top 1%. Uh, so um, they may be potential members for the patriotic millionaires. Great. And, um, most of our listeners are not. Uh, but what I was happy to discover was you can even uh, you can sign up to be informed about the Patriarch Millionaires and be supportive and aware of your messages and what you're doing, um, even if you're not making a million dollars a year or have $5 million in wealth. Yeah. So tell people how they can connect with you. Patrioticmillionaires.org. Look at patrioticmillionaires.org. And you can see our website. You can see what we're doing. Or go to taxtherich.com. That's our special website just for the Tax the Rich um, campaign, taxtherich.com. And um, you can see what we're doing and uh, sign up. And our team can deploy you to, you know, call your congresspeople or your senators or, you know, help in some way. Do you actually have lobbying? We do. We do. We have several staff members who lead groups of our members to go. It used to be in person, now virtual meetings over Zoom to go explain to these Congress people what we're trying to say. And, you know, sometimes it's like, you know, meeting some 22 year old who wants to talk to Chicago school who's never been anywhere near Chicago, uh, but we can come in with actual business people who say, no, actually, I actually do run a business. I actually do make a payroll every week. Mm-hmm. And no, I don't pay my people less money if I have to pay more taxes. If they would work for less money, I would be paying them less money now, believe me. Um, if I have to pay more taxes, I'll have less money. Um, you know, we have all these Congress, little congressional, not little, but young yeah. congressional staffers who think, well, profits are fixed. So if you have to pay more taxes, that means you have to pay less in salaries to your staff. Mm-hmm. But no, actually, you pay the staff, then you subtract that from your revenue, and what's left is your profits on which you pay taxes. Um, so we're making great progress with going to lobbying meetings with actual business people, actual investors who can say, well, no, actually, I can tell you what it's like to be an investor. That is awesome, Morris. So I'm encouraging all our listeners here 
first of all, get this book, Tax the Rich. It is chock full of easy to read, really clear information about the realities of what we need to do to increase uh, a more, you know, shared prosperity and a stronger country, a better future. And sign up for Patriotic Millionaires uh, so you can get in on the action and help make a difference, particularly now. I mean, this is really hot. Today, as we speak, the fight is on in Congress about passing a bill that'll fix the roads, the bridges, bring child care, deal with the climate crisis, and pay for it all by taxes on the wealthy who can most afford it. And um, so now there's no better time than now to join with the patriotic millionaires. So that's all the time we have. Morris Pearl, chair of Patriotic Millionaires and author of Tax the Rich and wonderful, wonderful human being and American. Thank you so much for being with us today. Great to be in your show with you, Eleanor. Thank you. Listeners, in case you've missed any of our other programs, they're available in the archives. Our theme song is Let's Give Them Something to Talk About, sung by Bonnie Raitt. I'll be back next Thursday. Thanks for joining us. This is Eleanor LeCain with All Together Now.